to Digitally Creative. I'm your host, Vincent Ferrari, and joining me this week, I have the master of CNC. It's even in his name. I have the one and only Corey Stanley. What's going on, Corey? How you doing? Hey, Vincent. Thanks for having me on. I have, I've been so tempted because, um, you know, I've talked to people about who I'm having on. It's like Odyssey Stan. I'm like, no, it's Odyssey CNC now. Stop calling him Odyssey <laughs> Stan. Like I, when you change your name, it just threw chaos into my world. <laughs> yeah, I think I threw chaos into that from the beginning because I had it as Odyssey CNC. And I'm like, man, I don't really want people to think I'm just like this, uh, like CNC manufacturer, like this company. Because I was doing woodworking, you know, and then I'm like, man, it doesn't seem very approachable. And I use Instagram as basically just socializing. So it wasn't like I'm getting customers from it. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to make it Odyssey Stan because Odyssey Corey sounded uh, worse. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, I went with that for like, I don't know. I don't know if it was a year or longer or and then uh, I switched back and people were still like, yeah, it's Odyssey underscore Stan. And I'm like, well, not anymore. <laughs> so it's, it's fun to do that to people. I love, so for those of you that don't know, well, you know what? I'll let, I'll let you introduce yourself. That's much more polite. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do in the maker community and um, how people have come to know you and what you're known for. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so um, I think I've been a part of the maker community for maybe four years now, like at least on like Instagram and stuff like that. Uh, before that, um, so I did manual machining in the Navy. Um, and I did that for seven years. I got out and did like CNC man or, uh, CNC machining. <laughs> Sorry, I'm <laughs> losing my words here. So CNC machining in a machine shop, um, at, in my hometown, which is where I'm at Springfield, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did that for three years and then, I took, you know, once I started doing that, I'm like also at the same time doing hobby woodworking in my garage while I was working. And I'm like, man, I want to apply the CNC stuff to the woodworking and um, got into the just I got a a four by eight. uh, It was called a Griffin CNC machine. Um, So I got that thing and started just doing, you know, whatever tables and signs and all that stuff. Um, And eventually that spiraled and I ended up getting a bigger machine and I don't know. I guess I make all kinds of stuff now, mostly, mostly woodwork. But then now lately I've been getting into CNC manufacturing with these CNC rotary machines that we're, that we're doing now. So as we record this, it is November 16th of 2022. And this prior weekend, you actually launched the, essentially the beta sale, I guess you could call it of Mm -hmm. the cyclone machines. Yeah. And that's I. It's funny because I feel like I've been watching this process little by little as you've developed the machine and as you talk about it on your own podcast with Chris. Um, mm-hmm. For those of you that don't know, he co-hosts um, the Makeshift Podcast with um, Chris Powell. Yep. And it's kind of crazy watching this go from conceptual, not so much conceptual. I don't think I was in that early. I'm not going to pretend mm-hmm. I'm like a hipster and I knew it before everybody <laughs> else. But um, just watching it go like from early stages to a, a tangible, you know, first product. And mm. you're not at the commercial launch phase yet, but you are at the let's put these in the hands of people and let them beat them up phase, which is that's a major milestone. So first of all, congratulations on that. Um, what's the reaction been like? Are you are you happy with it or? is Well, it- thank you first for that. Um, yeah, it is. It is just a wild journey so far. Um, not one that I would have 
seen coming a couple months ago. It's just mm-hmm. how quickly it it came about. Um, but yeah, I I am very excited about how quickly it's moving. I feel like we are getting a ton of support from the community. And, you know, like I was saying a few months ago, if I would have thought about a maker trying to dive into manufacturing CNC machines on their own and scaling it, I'd be like, nah, it's, that's not possible. You know what I mean? Like you mm-hmm. already have to be an established company or like something big like that to be able to afford to do this or, you know, but it's just the way it came about was almost perfectly fitting for us. And I, I say us, that's, so I've been kind of by myself for, you know, a couple of years now on the woodworking uh, journey. And I've had a buddy of mine though, uh, Brian, that I'd kind of go to for like plastic or CNC bits. And he, he worked at this big, uh, like a limo company, but he also tinkered in his own shop uh, and made CNC machines, like little, uh, just small ones. But uh, I saw he was selling a machine uh, probably six months ago now. And uh, I went to him and I was like, hey, man, do you think we could convert this to a dedicated rotary? Because I've seen them, but they're not, uh, you know, they're not really widely available. Or I I haven't found a company that's just making dedicated standalone, just rotary CNCs. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's like, oh, that'd be cool. So we put our heads together and figured out how to build this thing. And it was a um, it was an open builds machine. So just aluminum extrusions. And, uh, so basically we chopped it all up and reconfigured it to be sturdy and uh, got the rotary attachment for it. So it's a three axis machine, not four. A lot of people call just a a rotary, a fourth axis, which it is when you add it to a three axis machine, Mm -hmm. but we swapped the Y axis for the rotary. And so the gantry is fixed and then your X moves left and right on the center line of the part that spins. And then your Z still goes, you know, up and down. So we got this thing and we're like, well, I don't know what I'm going to make on it, but I've just always wanted to get into, you know, rotary and then eventually like fifth axis stuff. Like that's just where my head's at. I want to keep trying to learn the next CNC thing I can learn. And um, so we got this thing out, started making things, uh, started with just hammer handles because that seemed like something people would love to see. Um, And it was like faster and sturdier than we thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. We're like, man, I think, uh, I think, and, and a lot of people loved it. Like a lot of people were like, man, I'd love to have one of those. Can you like put a kit together? Oh and I was boy. Like, yeah. It's like maybe. And I started oh thinking about that, <laughs> but there's, there is already a guy out there that puts together kits and you can buy mm-hmm. his plan. You can, you can buy all the extrusions. You can buy all the stuff and you can assemble it. He has plans. So if you want to do that, you can, but what we did was, we used the CNC machine I have, which is a phantom CNC, and we cut all these uh, gantry plates and all kinds of brackets um, on the phantom out of aluminum and just reconfigured this thing to be stronger and faster. Uh, updated the controller and got a bunch of different other things. And and now, I, like, I just think it's it's too awesome not to try to run with it. Like, <laughs> I love I love the idea that you're selling it as a complete machine. I don't think... Because my first my first CNC was an Inventables X Carve, and mm. I never finished putting it together. <laughs> and I know that there are a lot of people who will argue up, down, left, and right that you know one of the best parts of getting a kit is that you know how the machine works and you know how it's put together. I was like, no, mm. no, not for me. I don't want <laughs> my expertise putting a machine. I don't mind fixing a machine. I'll take anything apart and try to fix it. 
but I want it assembled by an expert or at least a majority of it assembled right. by an expert. Like even, even the best CNCs now on the consumer level, at least you don't get them fully assembled. You get them in, you know, knock down parts and kind of put it together, mm-hmm. kind of like Ikea furniture, but with fewer steps. Right. And, but like the X carve was just too much. It was like, wait, connect this and put the board in here. And it's like, seriously, like I don't have time for this. And I was, the episode prior to this one, I spoke to Kevin Barnett from Carbide 3D, and that was something I liked about the Shape Oco, was that even though it came in a couple of boxes, it was largely together when I got it. It took me a couple hours to put it together. It was no big deal to put it together. The idea that you're taking this machine that might be someone's first foray into rotary and kind of selling them a machine, not a, not a like I used to call it, the... Uh, cocaine bags of parts <laughs> just a bunch of cocaine right. bags and <laughs> yeah it's it's kind of wild like you you really just said you know we're going to give you the right experience with this machine yeah and that's that's our our whole plan going forward to this because i think there is a misconception to rotary milling that it's it's too hard you know what mm-hmm. i mean or like it's it's too difficult and i think i i would say like 90 percent of people that bought their first cnc machine and they got it with the rotary they probably don't use it like, uh, right. and I've, I've been on a bunch of CNC pages and rotary pages. And a lot of people are like, I have no idea where to start with, with this. I don't know how to add it to the machine. I don't know how to start working with it. It's just too much for me to tackle at this point. So I'm going to stick to what I know. And I, our kind of our plan here is like, you know, 10 years ago, CNC machines in your shop were not that common. And, mm-hmm. uh, you and Al just talked about that on episode two. I just listened to that one about how, you know, how quickly it's grown, um, how, how now it's a tool you can use for basically anything in your shop and it's widely accepted. And, um, that's kind of our plan with the, with the rotary is that like, we just want to give CNC and digitally creative people the next step, right. um, in, in CNC manufacturing is that we want to not only give you the machine that you can put on your bench top that you can just get to work with. Uh, we also want to give you like the training and education and, and show you that it's, it's very approachable. Like I, I, my first rotary was, you know, a couple months ago when we got this thing put together and then I had no idea where to start. And once I got into it, I, I probably within two weeks, I was like, oh yeah, this is easy. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. Cause I mean, I'm, as far as the hardware goes, I just don't have any frame of reference for a, how it works, and B, what you would have to do. But when it comes to software, when you when I started to finally understand after listening to you and Chris, you guys did an episode early in the run of Makeshift where you spent like an hour talking in detail about these machines. And yeah. that was the episode that you both joked that you were losing everybody. And Jeff, Jeff, a weird guy, and I were both like, that was one of the most interesting things I've ever heard. Like, I understand <laughs> what's going on now. Um, but I... I, my immediate thought when you started talking about this was, what software would you use for this? Because I imagine, you know, even, you know, something like VCarve or Aspire, they're not really designed out of the box to do anything but carve into a flat piece of material. And I'm, I'm, I'm imagining all these like hurdles for generating proper G code and how do you design for this? And how do you like, how have you managed to overcome all that stuff? Because I'm pretty sure the hardware stuff I have no doubt in my mind that if I was going to just say, build me a piece of hardware, you and your team could just go, yes, here's the piece of hardware. But how did you overcome the hurdles of interfacing with the hardware and making it do what you wanted to do? 
Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was the hardest part for me. Um, fortunately, Brian, my, my right hand guy in this is very, uh, attuned to that. Like he's just always been hardwired that way that he can get in and figure out how to make the G code and the motors and, and the software, everything just merged together. Right. That's great. And, uh, so I've been learning that from him, which makes it, you know, awesome to learn from somebody in your shop that you're like, wait, you can ask any question and get the answer. Um, so with that, um, like I'm using Aspire, uh, cause he, he happened to have a license with it anyway, cause he, the shop he had been working in, he's like, we got another seat. You can just toy around with this. I'm like, Oh, sweet. So I, Jesus. I got into Aspire. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> like, that's, a, that's a nice seat to sit in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. It's warm and cozy and, uh, saves me money. So I get uh, in there and I'm playing around and I would have thought it was way more complicated than it is. But really, it's um, and I, I could do it with a piece of paper in here, but I don't know how many people are going to watch this. But if you took a piece of paper and you mm -hmm. rolled it up into a tube, mm -hmm. right? Let's say you drew your drawing on the paper when it's flat and then you roll this tube up into a cylinder. That's all you're doing, right? You're, you're, okay. you're, you're putting all your vectors um, on a piece of paper and telling it where the uh, boundaries are of your uh, job. And then when you get in and you start doing 3D, it's just if you were basically extruding things on your paper up and out okay. and then still wrapping that around. So And then the knowing that at some point that whole flat thing is going to be wrapped around a, a diameter, a circumference of something, mm -hmm. yes. you know, of a certain size. Okay. Got it. When, so when you think about it that way, it's super simple because you're like, okay, and Aspire makes it easy that you can go 2D, 3D, back and forth, and you can have them on the same screen. So anything you do on the 2D shows up on the 3D, and you're like, oh, that's exactly how I want it. Um, okay. But once, so this kind of get... sounds like this sounds like the 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 sheet metal environment in Fusion, where you Ooh, can kind of yeah. start with a cylinder and then run a cut down the middle and flatten it. Now you're working on a flat pattern, and then. This, I guess, in the post-processor, it just puts that back together in whatever shape you're putting. Okay. Now I'm starting right. to understand how you would design for it. Wow, that's... So I think okay. in the software, all it's really doing is taking all those points on the coordinate system and mm -hmm. timesing them by pi, essentially. You know what I mean? Like, it's just wrapping it around whatever your wow. Z height. Yeah, yeah. So it seems very confusing, but when you when you start playing around with it, you're like, oh, this makes total sense. And it, and it is so much easier than I would have thought it would have been. I, I, it sounds, it, it, in theory, in theory, when you're just thinking about it initially, it sounds impossible, honestly. Mm -hmm. It's right. like, how do you design on a, on a rod, essentially? And it's like, no, you're not. You're kind of just designing on the flat thing that's going to get wrapped around that rod. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Lots of light bulbs. This is the kind of stuff that it's been really interesting to listen to you guys talk about it because mm. you're doing your machines and then Chris is doing, God knows what with whatever he's building <laughs> in his shop. You know, as usual, Chris is building something wild and crazy. Yeah. Um, and it's like, oh, this is this is this is probably the next step for most people that have CNCs is to get into rotary. It's like it seems like the next logical progression in right. what's going to be in your shop that's going to give because everyone's always looking for that edge. That's why you buy these machines to begin with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually saw a post um the other day on one of the it's like a CNC entrepreneurs page on Facebook. And the, the guy was going on about how he went to a craft show and everybody at the craft show had the same Etsy items. Everybody yeah. that had a CNC booth or whatever had the same flags and just whatever, whatever it is that everybody's doing between CNCs and lasers. 
And it's how it's a race to the bottom, how everybody's like, this will sell. I need to just make this and make them in bulk and then make my price lower than the next guy. And so yeah. everybody's bringing the value down by trying to compete with each other, which there's nothing wrong with that. But you also need to push yourself, I think, to doing something more creative that the other guy is not going to think of. Sure. And that's where I feel like this as a tool is very underutilized is that there's so many things out there that can be made on it um, that aren't really like a niche market yet. You know what I mean? Like the custom hammer handles, like how many makers use a hammer in their shop every day or a mallet. Sure. And you yeah. could you could put your brand on that and you can have like, everybody wants a branding iron to put the brand on what they're making, but you're also making videos in your shop every day. So why not have the hammer in your handle that has your logo on it? You know, just another thing for people to see like, wow, this is cool. Um, but there's, there's so many little tiny markets that I don't think people are aware of. Like there's a huge market for pool cues and I wouldn't have thought about that, but custom hmm. pool cues is a very huge market that luckily we found a guy here locally that took us on a tour of his shop and he has the coolest shop, but he's a very good woodworker and he's combining his CNC skills to make awesome pool cues and awesome inlays and just, uh, they're beautiful. Um, but there's that market and that's a huge market. Um, and I, I have a whole list of things cause I eventually I'm going to do a uh, 10 to 20 things you can make on your rotary CNC that can make you money. And I also want to have models available for people that it, when they buy this machine, they can get a couple models that they can change, um, you know, maybe the logos and stuff that are on it, but it'll mm -hmm. be the same, like, uh, just kind of base model of like a hammer handle or a mallet handle that they can get to work immediately. You know what sure. I mean? If, if they need to learn the software and that's going to take them a while, like I understand that and we're going to help them with videos, but I want them to get the machine, be able to put a block of wood in it and get to work as soon as they get it. That way they can start paying it off. You know what I mean? Sure. And, and that's, you know, for, for people that are more adventurous, that'll give them something to reverse engineer to understand how to start forming their own designs. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that, you know, with 3D printing, it's, it's most obvious when people get a 3D printer and they're so excited and I can make anything and they start just going to Thingiverse and mm -hmm. it's like, they just grab whatever they can. They print like 45,000 tchotchkes and they never really see the <laughs> utility of it because they don't understand the modeling side of it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think something like something like a rotary CNC, which you really can't just go to Thingiverse and get stuff for, I think it's going to be super helpful to say, this is how the file is designed. This mm -hmm. is the file. You can cut mm -hmm. this if you want, but then you can actually rip it apart, you know, look at the model and go, oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, it's... I, I'm really impressed with how complete your your mindset is for this. I know you you kind of set out with the idea of making it a business, so the 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 whole thing kind of came together the right mm -hmm. way. It came together as a product for an end user, not just something cool that you could use in your shop. Um, right. Is this something that is this something that you is this something you always wanted to do, like developing a product, that kind of thing, or? Yeah, I think that's where my head's been geared because I, I'll get to a point where like I'll, I'll come up with a new product that I think is just like the coolest thing that I haven't seen anybody else make. And then I'll make mm. it and I'm like, meh, move on to the next thing. So it's <laughs> like I, I want to have a product that I can keep making, but I also mm -hmm. get so bored of the monotony. Mm -hmm. And this is where I think it's different for me because it will be monotonous to make right. these parts or to have them all these parts made and assembled 
but I'm going to have a team to help me do that. Um, but also it's new challenges every day. Like we're, we're going to get this machine figured out, but we have, you know, three other prototypes in our minds already of the next machine. And so I think wow. we're going to grow this to be, you know, where we have multiple different machines. Uh, like just, just right now, we're trying to figure out a true four axis rotary machine. So like with your CNC machine, a three axis machine, if you put the rotary on there, you have four axis, which most people keep their tool on center line. Anyway, most of the mm -hmm. tool paths just do that. It just, they just right. lock, you know, one of your axes in place and just spin it like a rotary. But if you have something complicated, like a, let's say it's just a statue and mm -hmm. you know, you've got legs and a void between them and the arms are out. Um, like you can't do that with the rotary because of the way the tool won't fit in all the pockets, you know, right. cause it's spinning and the tool's going to be in the way. So you need that fourth axis to be able to like offset, kind of make move, a pocket, come and move in a little bit. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's interesting you say that because last week we, um, I talked to Kevin Barnett from Carbide 3D and it was mm -hmm. the same, he was saying the same thing. He said, as you get to use a CNC more, as you start using this equipment more, one of the things that happens, you know, even subconsciously is that you start to actually think like the machine. You start to mm -hmm. look at something and go, this machine's just not going to be able to do that because it can't move that way. So how do I hold it? How do I cut into it? How do I move it so that I can get this to do what I want? And, you know, you've seen some people doing some crazy things with the, um, with the shape Oko and what usually it involves like an extra axis or cutting down, cutting a hole in the base or something like that. And it's like, oh, and the reason that's happening is because people are, are understanding, they're understanding why the, why the machine isn't doing what they want. And they're trying to make it do what they want it to do. Cause they've, they've hit that understanding point. So. Mm. That's it's kind right. of a cool it's kind of cool that you know you guys back to back said basically the same thing not oh, yeah. having heard each other which is it's great I love I love oh, nice. that that's the minds you you have the same mindset because I think it's the right way to look at it oh yeah I think so I think like the the CNC machine I mean how you how you put it just then is it becomes an extension of yourself uh, and mm -hmm. it's like Al said in his it's like he he struggled with making. Um, was dovetail joints or, or something yeah. that by hand that he was able to do re repeatedly. Mm -hmm. And the CNC makes up for that in a way that it gives you the skills to do it. There's, t there's people out there that make beautiful handcrafted things and they have my admiration and respect for being able to do that. I can't, <laughs> my hands are shaky. <laughs> I, I don't have that much control over like precise movements like that. And I think it's amazing what they're doing. But I, for me, the CNC helps me, get to that level or it helps me do things more precise than I can do yeah. and repeatedly uh, that I think repeatability. Cause I, that's the one thing I always struggle with. Like even when I try to make the, I think the only thing I'm able to do repeatedly is coasters. Like it's literally mm -hmm. the only thing, like if somebody says, build me the same cutting board four times, I don't even mm -hmm. think I can do that at this point. Like, <laughs> because there's always going to be variation, right? There's always, right a handmade factor to it. There's always going to yep. be. And I think that's where the digital fab stuff just really, really ups your game a little bit. It's not so much that you can make one thing great because you can make one thing by hand. Great. It's that mm -hmm. if you need to make a bunch of something, I do, I do these little walnut things that you put on your thumb and you use it to hold a book open. Mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah, they I've are seen those. super duper common, right? I'm not, I didn't invent them. I just made a different design and I made it out of walnut. 
Mm. And I was hand making them for a long time with a Forstner bit and a bandsaw. And I ended mm. up realizing like, oh my God, the, the CNC is so much better for this. And oh, then yeah. on the flip side, when I do cutting boards, it's like I can do a juice groove by hand or I can do a juice groove on the CNC and doing juice grooves by hand is like 50 times faster. So oh, it's yeah. like you, you have the best of both worlds there. It's like, oh no, if I need to make something a lot, it's going over there. Like I'm going to let the CNC do the work and then I'm going to just sit there and watch it <laughs> because that's oh, right. what we all do. <laughs> exactly. That is what we all do. Like, like you, you always say, hey, well, this thing in my shop, it's going to, it's going to be running and I'm going to be doing other stuff. And then like, I've been doing this for years and I'm still like <laughs> just watching it. <laughs> I can imagine That's like, awesome. what, so the lightsaber, the lightsaber hilt that you did was awesome. Um, you know, the one that you cast and then stuck on the machine to make everyone think <laughs> that you machined it. Um, right. I was so impressed by that. I was like, this thing is awesome. I can only imagine like, is that the, I don't know what you've done to test the machines, but is that the most complex thing you've tested with and how, like as far I know it was aluminum I'm assuming yes yeah okay so yeah was that the most complex thing you tested with and how did it feel to see it finished so yeah it, it totally was the most complicated um and probably hardest thing that we've done on there as far as like pushing the machine to mm -hmm. see what its uh precision would be you know what I mean because right. aluminum is going to show all your tool marks any kind of play that's in that spindle anything at all it's going to show and right. so when it came out you know as smooth as it did we're like man we're we're on to something like this <laughs> it, it's it took longer than you know a hundred thousand dollar cnc machine would take but you don't have to spend that much money to be able right. to make aluminum lightsabers in your shop and uh brian when he took it off there, he's like, uh, I'm going to keep this. He's like, I don't care what you say. I'm keeping this as the coolest <laughs> thing that I've ever made ever. <laughs> and you can't take it away. And I was like, dude, we'll just run another one. <laughs> like, exactly. We can, we can do that it. now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, and, it's uh, almost like so, you've unlocked. It's almost like you've unlocked a superpower now. Like you, you can, like you it. can make the craziest things. There's mm -hmm. no, there now there's no limit, right? Because now you have that covered. It's, I can only imagine what the next phase is going to be like, like you were saying a statue where you can carve out individual legs and have them twirl mm -hmm. around the axis that yep. you're carving on. It's like, wow. I mean, where are we? It's 2022. It feels <laughs> like we've hit the future. I, I get oh, so right. excited by like this it. stuff, you know? Oh, me too. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're nerds in this way that like, this is what I geek out about. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's so funny because like a few years ago, like well, I was at like a Thanksgiving dinner and, um, it was at my in-laws house and one of the guys that came to the, the party was like a newer family member, right? Like a, a new spouse. And so mm -hmm. we're just getting to meet each other and talk and all that. And this is when I was just machining, you know, at CNC machining at a stainless fabrication shop. And, uh, he's like, so what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm a machinist, you know? And he's like, I don't know what that is. And I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> like I, I take things and like a, a lathe or a mill and I like it spins it really fast, cuts metal off of it and shapes it into a part essentially. Mm -hmm. And he's like, kind of like looked puzzled and I, and was like, and you, you enjoy doing this. <laughs> and he didn't mean it to be that way. Like he wasn't meaning for it to be rude, but to me, right. I was like, man, some people have no idea about like how rewarding it is to like, just make something. And, it, sure. and at the time it wasn't even like I was making a lightsaber that is cool to people. It was like, I was making, these components that went on a pharmaceutical tank. Mm -hmm. And to me, it was the coolest thing ever. It's like, yeah, I love making this stuff. Like, it's awesome. Like I get to just sure. 
spin things down at, at a high speed into something cool. Um, but yeah, it's uh, these are the things that we we geek out about. <laughs> yep, I have a friend. I have a friend who's working on. A, there's um a probe going to Venus. Oh, wow. To do a sample of the atmosphere on Venus. At least so it's not it, a probe going to Uranus, right? No, that <laughs> would be a very that would be a very different probe <laughs> for sure. Um, probably not as high tech either. Um, they, so he's they're sending this probe. They're sending this probe to Venus. It's literally going to go into the atmosphere. It's going to pull a whole bunch of data, send it back to Earth, and then the atmosphere is essentially going to just destroy it. Like that's oh, wow. they expect it to be fully destroyed by the corrosive gases in the atmosphere. That's so wild. he has been working for like over a year on one of the controller boards, just designing mm. the controller boards, and he is having the best time. Like, nice. and it's such a it's such a a job where you go, I can't imagine that being fun, and yet this is like he this is like his crowning achievement. He's so excited that he's getting this done, and it's kind of wild to think about. Like, you know, somebody has to design the body, somebody has to design the flight controller, somebody mm -hmm. has to program the flight controller so that the damn thing actually reaches where it's supposed to go. And that's what he's geeking out about. So it would almost be the same kind of conversation. Like, wait, so you've been soldering a circuit board over and over again for a year. Like that sounds horrible. Like, yeah, but it's going to Venus. Do you understand? It's going to Venus, man. Yeah. Venus. Yeah, you ever been to Venus? Awesome. It's far. <laughs> that's so cool. I couldn't imagine being a part of something like on that scale, like of how big, I mean, I, I guess I kind of was with like the CNC uh, shop that I was in on, on. They're making a big pharmaceutical tank, but that was mm -hmm. going, you know, across the country to make medicine or something, which sure, is sure. still cool when you think about it being that big of a team. But to be building something, going to another planet and, you know, it's going to get destroyed, <laughs> but it's still like your passions there. Like, I, I think that's the coolest thing ever. So one of the things that we do as makers is we get really, really passionate about something. We are naturally passionate people. Like that's what starts you as a maker. You're passionate about a thing or you're, but then what ends up always happening is you run it into the ground to the point where you don't want to do it anymore. And it's like, no, yeah, I don't definitely. want It's really hard to find that balance too, where you're like, oh my God, I'm doing what I love. And then at some point it happens to everybody. It's like, mm -hmm. I really don't love doing this anymore. Like this is becoming right. way too much more like work than I want it to be. Oh yeah. Yeah, that for me is always the like the monotonous thing like we were talking about earlier is that like once you get into a product and you're just making it over and over, that's where mm -hmm. I'm like, I suffer with that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so it'll be interesting to see where this goes when my like passion is enough, I think, to overcome that. It'll still be, I think, where it'll get to a point where I'm like, uh, but like I said, we'll have challenges to overcome that'll still be and it'll be exciting to be seeing people like I think it'll be so cool when people are making stuff in their own shop and they make something new that I hadn't thought about on this machine, I'm going to be, I'm going to geek out. Right. I'm going to be sure. I think that's, that's what's going to keep me going. I think is being like, what? I never would have thought of that, but <laughs> you give the tool to somebody and they run with it. And it's going to be like the coolest thing ever. I think. Yeah. I think once, once some, once a cyclone ends up in the hands of your Dennis Van Hoff or your Winston Moy, it's going to mm -hmm. be like, I didn't even think of doing that with it. That's wild. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you yeah. know what? Guess what? It does that now. Promo material. Hey guys, look what this guy did. I think that's right. going to be, that's also going to be cool. Like, you know, you're going to start getting the feedback on socials too, with people using the machine. It's you're, you're in, you're in line for a string of really, really exciting things 
coming. I'm I'm so excited for you. It's I can only imagine like the feeling of getting these machines in the hand of people after kind of working on them for as long as you have must be just the most wild thing in the world. Like, Oh wow. They're going out the door. Like these aren't just yeah. the ones that we're prototyping and testing anymore. These are going into the hands of people who are either going to love it or beat the hell out of it. And they're going <laughs> to, but I like the way you, I do like the way you're launching it. I think it's really smart. A couple of machines at a discounted price with the understanding that if you buy this machine, we expect feedback. We expect, you know, you're going to be the guinea pig. You're going to you're going to need to beat this machine up. We're going to need feedback from you. We're going to need all kinds of testing to be done. We're going to send you firmware updates on the regular. You know, all this stuff. I like that you're doing this, and I like that you're making it enticing for people to come in line. That's a really cool business model. I've not seen anyone do that. Usually, the only time you see that kind of discount is something like a Kickstarter, but that's mm -hmm. usually a finished product, and you're just getting it for being early. But I like the way you're basically selling the machines to your beta testers and rewarding them with a nice discount for doing it. That's a cool business model. Well, I hope so. Uh, I, thank you. Um, so we ran through like a bunch of different just ways to do this. And mm -hmm. maybe, maybe we're thinking outside the box more than other companies because they're, they're used to a formula that they know works and we're, sure. we don't know what works. <laughs> so we might be, you know, we might be kicking ourselves down the road of, of maybe this wasn't the best way to do it, but, you know, there's, there's other way, like you, I could get a massive loan, right. And start going mm -hmm. into full production and then selling things and then have issues. You know what I mean? Uh, so I think it, it, for us, it's the smartest move to do five machines, figure out if there's anything wrong with them we need to fix and, you know, get all that feedback. Like you're talking about, like it makes sense to us. So hopefully and also, it pays off. Also to an extent, I mean, this is not to bring down the product it is mm -hmm. essentially a niche product and mm -hmm. there's not a lot you can't just go to a market research firm and say how many people would want a thirty seven hundred dollar you know rotary cnc like they won't have that data and they'll have no oh, way yeah. to get they're going to go what what is that how how do we even compile that data so you're <laughs> kind of doing small-scale market research also as you launch this which is kind of a cool thing too because hmm. you'll know quickly like oh this person added it to the cart and didn't buy it do we need to lower our price or were they just mm -hmm. curious did they just want to hold on to it like there's so much data that's got to be coming in since you dropped these out it's it's really cool Thank i keep you. saying yeah, cool i wish i could come up with another <laughs> word but it's just it's so fun watching this go from concept to product it really has right. been yeah i think i think it's I, I think from if I was looking at it from an outside, I'd be super interested by it, too, because these are the stories that are always like super cool to me. And mm -hmm. it's cool to be like actually living it now, because, you know, for years I've thought, man, I wish I had a cool product or man, I wish I had <laughs> I wish I had something that fit me right that I had the passion for it, because all the things right. I've made before, I'm like, I like it. It's cool. It's, it's cool. different. <laughs> but I'm like, now I need to just move on to the next thing. And this I'm like, I really want to see this go down the road. And uh, so I have enough passion to drive it, I think. And that's what uh, it's super exciting to me. But it's also scary because, sure. like you said, I'm sending these machines out to get beat up. Mm -hmm. And there might be somebody out there who buys it. I mean, it's not a cheap product, right? Like right. when you look at it next to other CNC machines, like you can see. It's a com it's yeah, it's comparatively inexpensive, but it's not cheap. Right. But it's still the price of a car. And, right. you know, especially <laughs> just people are struggling in general with you know, we've had kind of a hard couple of years, sure. uh, you know, of just from everything. Now I'm, I, you know, I'm not trying to t take this into a political or anything like that, but like just pandemic, all this stuff, like people were sure. 
struggling more than they were probably a few few years ago and it's just like now i'm expecting them to sp- spend enough money that they could spend on a on a vehicle on a machine that is they have to learn from like there's hurdles there right there's pricing yeah. of it there's uh education of it or the skill to get to that next level but i think that there's enough there to entice people that like it in my mind like when i think of when, when I what I love about some small shops are people that have like multiple machines and they're just crushing it by like keeping all these different machines running. They seem to have like this lean manufacturing. Like I love seeing that. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a way for people to do that is that like they already have their other CNC machine or maybe this is their first one, but they get it and they can see that they can make, you know, three or four handles a day. And but they can also be doing something with their hand tools while they're doing it. And right. So it gives them a way to like make more money and also learn a new skill uh, that I think that there's enough there. You're doing, you're doing Odyssey CNC full-time. You're not doing, you don't have a quote day job, so to speak. This is your day job, right? This is. Yeah, this is my day job. And I have a three-year-old daughter who's my day job, which is, <laughs> she takes which up is, long which is your moonlighting as a father. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, basically. Um and she's, it's, it's great. I love having this time with her. Cause like I said mm-hmm. before, I was, I was Navy for a few years and I missed out on a, a lot of just family moments. So I get to enjoy like quality time sitting at home with her, you know, and that's when I get all my computer work done and sure. then she'll hang out with me. And then I'll be with now that I have like Brian out there in the shop too, I get so much more work done because I can, right. I can leave her and go out there. And uh, my wife owns a, a cleaning company. So she's gotten to the point now where she just does the office work. Like for a long time, she was out there, you know, doing all the cleanings herself and she built up her company. And so she helps too. Now she's around the office. So whenever I go out to the shop, like I don't have to worry about what my three-year-old's doing. Like I can go out there for hours and and not have to worry about it. So that's, I'm, I'm kind of transitioning between it being full-time with the woodworking while I'm also doing full-time with my, with my daughter to being, now I'm going full time into this company. Mm-hmm. You know, we're about to move into a big, bigger building because we're outgrowing the shop, and like we really want to scale this up. And I think it's going to be awesome. Now, as you're as you're ramping this up, as you're getting, you know, close, you're all you're going to be getting closer and closer continuously until launch. As you're getting closer and closer, are you finding it harder to balance work and life responsibilities, or do you have to sometimes catch yourself? you know, at a point where you're like, Oh, okay, I know I need to do this, but you know, family needs to get some attention for a little while. Mm -hmm. Like I need to back off just a little bit and let, let, you know, maybe let Brian handle something or Mm -hmm. you finding that tough to balance because, you know, it's one thing to have a full-time business. It's another to have a full-time business that's going through a product launch. That's a very different animal from just having orders. So what's that been like for you? So I don't think it's been tough. Like it's, it's not, it's, it's better now than it was. It probably was a little tougher in the beginning, but I've been doing this for a while where it's always like, what's the next product? And I'll make a product and then be like, like I've said, I, I move on from it. And so mm-hmm. I've always had this like ebb and flow of like, okay, I don't feel like being in the shop. I'm going to do more stuff with family. But now with this, like my head has to be in it in all these different directions. Right. Of like The website's got to be perfect. Like we've got to have we got to figure out what the next plan is. We got to get like a good photographer, these machines, like not only all that stuff, we have to like think of the next version of it and test it. And like a bunch of different areas that like just a small shop could be trying to figure this out. Um, so my, 
my, but my mind's always wandered like that. Right. Like I'm mm -hmm. always like, it's, it's hard to get me in the present. And I think lately I've been trying to be a lot better about that. Like, okay. Just this, this whole year, just like I, I've been trying to figure that out and I think I'm getting better about it, but we'll see. <laughs> it's, it's, it's always going to be, it's always going to be a process. Mm -hmm. It's always going to be a process trying to, you know, you're basically, if you're, if your mind works anything like mine, which I'm getting the impression that it does, you will go until you hit a wall and then you'll really want to stop and think about that wall for a while. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. what, what do I have to do to get past this? And you won't just, I mean, me personally, when I hit a wall like that, it's never, I'm just going to keep trying things till I'm through it. It's like, no, I'm going to come up with the perfect strategy. It's never the perfect strategy, but this is what goes <laughs> right. on in my mind. I'm going to come up with the perfect strategy. I'm going to figure this out and then we're going to attempt it and we're going to be real careful about it. I could only imagine like when you have all this lined up behind it, like there's a lot invested. There's, you know, there's sweat equity. You just, uh, you were just talking on the most recent episode of makeshift. Well, the most recent as we're recording this anyway, <laughs> of the new building. And now that's an extra responsibility because you have to build that out, get your stuff in it and start producing in that building. And it's kind of, I don't know, I'd, I'd be scared to death. I'm kind of impressed that you're just kind of taking it in stride the way you are. <laughs> so that that comes with a lot of failure already. Mm -hmm. Like it, this isn't my first thing, big thing that I've tried to tackle. I talked about okay. that on the, on the last podcast also was like most people don't know that I've I've already kind of been an entrepreneur trying to try different things. Like I talked about how we got into do it, like doing escape room stuff and doing like virtual reality stuff and like running down that road of trying to make a business out of that and, you know, kind of falling flat on our faces there and being like losing a lot of money and losing mm -hmm. a lot of time. But then I look back at it and I'm like, I learned so much. Yeah. Like, it never felt like it was the right thing to do, but it felt like it was too good of an opportunity not to do. Like it seemed, it seemed too, like too, that. too fun to not do. Right. Like the thought of like having a virtual reality place and an escape room where I get to make all these cool things that work and people play with them. Like it's, it was too fun. But then whenever we just hit the, hit that wall of, well, it's hard to make money off this stuff, especially with the pandemic and all this crap going on. Like this needs to just, then he's just dissolve. And so mm -hmm. we did that and we moved on. And then I got back to my passion of trying to make a product and doing woodworking and learning more. And then it just evolved on its own, on its own to be the right thing that I feel like everything, all my experience in my life so far has led to this. So I'm like, if I'm going to fail on something, it might as well be something that I have enough passion to get me through it. You know, it, it may require a lot of money investment, sweat equity, all that, but it's what I really want to be doing. I also think it's kind of cool that, you know, you are the, you are the, the poster boy in some ways for what the military does when they recruit people. Mm. Um, it's like, you're going to come, you're going to learn a skill and you're going to, when you retire or when you leave, you know, however you end up leaving, if you stay as a career, you stay as a career, but if you end up leaving, you're going to have a skill set that you can carry on into the real world. Mm -hmm. How much of your skill set was built in the Navy versus how much did you go in with? Cause I know you said you were a machinist in the Navy. Did you go in with knowledge and then just in, like refine it in the Navy or did you learn it in the Navy and come out with the skills? No, see, I, I learned it all in the Navy and wow. Like okay, a lot of great. people, a lot of people, when they say um, that 
like you ask them when they became a maker and they're like, ah, oh, when I was a kid and I was tinkering with things. And like, mm -hmm. I always, I, I tinkered with stuff when I was a kid, but I didn't consider myself a maker or that that really led me to where I'm at. Um, I did like sculptures in high school out of clay, but I don't mm -hmm. feel like that really has a whole lot to do with what I'm doing now. Right. I had no idea what machining was, <laughs> except that when I went to the recruiter and he happened to be an engineer, which it's not engineers like what we think. It's like engineers in the, in the Navy are all the rates that are kind of like the skilled trade. They put in the hard work, like make the ship run, fix, fix stuff, weld things, like all that. So he was an engine man. So he worked on the engines. And he's like, if you're going to get a trade in the Navy, if you're going to do a job, you need to be a machinist because these guys work in the cool shop. They get to tear down metal. They make he's like, I've seen a guy just take this thing that was like as small as a nut and spin it down a, uh, a part. And it was a bolt. And in my mind, I'm like, how the hell did he do that? Like, I had no idea. Like that now like I know surgery, he, sir. <laughs> yeah. Now I know he just ran a die down, <laughs> you know, down something. But in my mind, I was like, what? And, uh, so I joined and did that and we had like a six week crash course in machining. Mm -hmm. And basically for the first two weeks, they showed you videos of people getting ripped to pieces on a lathe. I'm like, this is bad. Don't stick your arm in here. And I'm like, I don't want to touch this machine. This is scary. Your sleeves away from the spinning machine, sir. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, the next four weeks was learn how to use a lathe and then learn how to use a mill. And so we mm -hmm. made a couple little projects, but then they're like, okay, go, go on your way, go out to the fleet. And for most of the people that go out to the fleet from then, like a lot of, a lot of them go to ship by themselves or mm -hmm. might have one or two people, but those people might not have the experience to help them, you know? Right. Um, cause it's not like everybody gets trained perfectly on how to do this. So right. fortunately for me is I went to like a submarine shop, a repair shop, in Virginia. And there was a ton of people there to help me. And every day they just sent me out to the lathe or the mill and they said, make this. And so I had to, it wasn't like I just went to a ship and I was able to like skate by, by like pretending I knew how to do it. Like I had to do it. They made me and, uh, and they made me learn in my way. Like they made me learn, like they gave me the book, the machinist book. And they said, you need to make this. Here's your resource. And I'd come to them and I'd ask a question. They'd be like, here's the book go read it, go figure out how to make this. And I'm like, dude, why won't you just tell me? And I was so frustrated about it. But looking back, it was like, oh, because when I did get to the ship and I was by myself, I had the book. I didn't have anybody to ask questions to. Right. I had to figure out how to make it. And that's kind of that's gone through, you know, now we have YouTube and all the stuff that we can find any information out. But that's one thing I push on my kids a lot is like my son will come up to me with like a math problem and he'll mm -hmm. be like, I, I don't know. How, he's frustrated. I don't know how to do this. I, can you just do it? And I'm like, no, you need to go like, go back to the chapter, go back through what you, what you needed to study on this. Mm -hmm. And you need to figure out how to do this problem. He's sure. like, just tell me, just tell me how to do it. Just help me get through it. And I'm like, when you've gone back and you've looked and you've attempted it, then I'll help you work through the problem. But if you don't have the like fortitude to go back and do it all yourself, then you're just going to get stumped, throw your hands up and, and blame somebody else. Like you have to do that. And I, I think that was one of the best things I learned from the Navy, that and machining. Because You were basically, it was, it was basically forced self-education. Yes. Um, the one good thing about teaching about, well, I say teaching, and I use that in the most light sense possible. But the one good thing about teaching you that way is, you know, you learn on one sub, let's say, and the parts are these, these are the specs for the parts on that, on that sub. And you go to another sub and it's like, it's a slightly different sub. Well, I don't need to know that this is how you make bolt 544. 
I just need to know what's the spec for bolt 544 according to the book. And right. I know I know how to interpret that into an object in the real world. I think that seems to make sense because I imagine you've probably bumped into needing similar skills as you've made your own parts for the cyclones too. Mm. Like oh you, yeah, totally. You probably just had to figure it out, document whatever you're do- you've done, and then come back later and go, oh no, that's not good. But at least I have the document. I know what needs to change. I can redo it and then just remake the part. But right, that's wild. I, I love that they... You know, at first you think about that, and it's like, wow, that's got to be rough, like trying to learn from just specs and being on the machine. But I guess in the real world, that's just the way it works. Like mm-hmm. someone hands you a book and says, here's the specs. You're the expert. Get to work. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. How many, uh... So they have a sh- I know they have a shop, but like, do you walk into a situation with that information? It's like, you're the guy like that's it this is your job. You have to get this done. There is not, you don't have like a ton of backup. It's like, no, they're relying on you to get this done first. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is the option of them sending it out, Mm -hmm. but if you're in the middle of the ocean and, and the red sea or whatever, and sure, uh, you have a part that goes down and it could be a part that keeps like, just for instance, the part that I worked on was, um, a fuel valve for, like helicopters for flight operations for them to send the helicopter out that valve seized up and the part that was in it, the bonnet like was stripped of threads. So oh, this wow. is the only valve that can fuel the helicopters. And they came to me and I was the only one on the ship that was a machinist. And they're like, Hey, we have to have this part. And I'm like, Oh crap. You know, cause it was, it was way more difficult of a part than anything I had made. Like it mm-hmm. had like, these double lead Acme threads uh, like, so the, it's way different than typical just threading like a V sharp. Mm-hmm. And so like double leads is like, you've got one lead going down and then you have one staggered off to the side of it going down so mm-hmm. that it spins quicker. Uh, oh, okay. You know, through, got through it. That. And uh, so I'm like, man, I don't even know where to start on this. And uh, it was a small like brass part. And I had to, I, I did it all basically on the, on the lathe, but I needed to, bore a hole, like drill a hole through it, and then use a, a tiny um, like internal boring tool that I had to make out of just tool steel, like grinding this thing to try to get it to work. And it wasn't rigid enough. Nothing I did could make these threads rigid because it would just chatter terribly as it was going through there. And I'm like, man, how am I going to figure this out? And I en- ended up making a tap that had the threads I needed on the lathe ah, and then okay. using the tap and p- forcing it through there, which luckily it was it was brass, so it didn't have to be like, a super hard tap, like, like tool steel, I was able to make it out of steel and then harden it by just like heating it up and quenching it. And then I was able to get that part fixed. And for me that, I mean, that, that is like the proudest moment when I look back of like, what was the hardest thing you had to do that there was a ton of pressure on you. Mm -hmm. Like I had to work like 20 hours straight to get this thing done. Cause I was, and I was sweating bullets the whole time. Like, man, this is all on me. Like, I don't want to let the ship down or like, you know, look like an idiot who doesn't know what he's doing. And for the most part, nobody on the ship knew that it was that complicated. They're like, this is what he does. He should it's do just it. a simple thing. We hand it to the machinist. We get the part <laughs> yeah. like this is yeah. what we need. Yeah. You're it's it, it. It amazes me how resourceful you end up having to be like, it's not like they don't have, 
you know, you think if you think about it, it makes sense. But on first glance, you're like, oh, it's this big, you know, it's maybe a carrier. And you're like, oh, they must have tons of parts in storage. Like, no, they travel pretty light as far as yeah, parts. Right. Like, yeah. it's like, no, if we need a part. We're going to make a part. <laughs> yeah. That's what, like that's if, what we got Corey for. <laughs> right. Like, it would have been great if they had this tap already, because then that would have right. been a, a 20 minute job. Maybe, you know, like maybe an hour job where I just turned down the part, put some external threads on it and then ran a tap through it and I'm done. But, it, you know. 16 of those hours was me sitting in a chair with a book, <laughs> like sweating and just being like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Where and do then I every, start? <laughs> every hour or two, somebody would come in and be like, where are you at on this? And I'm like, uh, I'm figuring it out. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they're like, well, we need this. Like, yeah, we literally have to get these helicopters flying right now. And I'm like, <laughs> like, I don't helicopter know. Just sitting on the deck, bro. Move it. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy yeah. because you not only have to learn under pressure, you have to be super resourceful. But you have this, I mean, there's a certain amount of like, oh, crap, this isn't just like a private company that needs a helicopter. This is the military. Like, this is mm-hmm. not a joke. This is probably one of the most high pressure, immediate need type functions you could possibly have is making parts for anything that the military is deploying. Like, Right. The, does the magnitude of that ever hit you where you go, wow, I can't believe I did that. Like, that's that's insane. Like, how did I do that? <laughs> I mean, it does, but then, you know, it's also, it was so far, it was so long ago that it's just one mm-hmm. of those things that happened, you know, where it's like, yeah, just had to do it. <laughs> yeah. So. I gotcha. That's, it's it's crazy because <clears throat> I don't think people understand how many different things people do on, you know, when they're deployed. I think people think, you know, everyone's either a soldier or a fighter pilot or a helicopter pilot or maybe a medic. You know, right. they don't understand that, you know, there's whole divisions of people that are just responsible for watching drones on a screen. There's a whole bunch oh, yeah. of people that watch weather. Like, yeah. it's, you know, those AWACS go up and they're going up to check out hurricanes. And it's like, oh, okay, like, yep. that's cool. Like, they're flying into hurricanes to take measurements and they're flying over oceans just to take measurements. And yep. it's amazing yep. the breadth of skills that they can hire for now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like it, it was an awesome environment to be in. And like my my heroes are the guys that are down in the engine spaces. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're 100, 110 degree spaces nonstop. And these guys don't see the light of day for, you know, 10 months, probably like they might come up sure. and go to the smoke deck or something like that. But they 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 have 12 hour shifts down in the pit where they just have to go and monitor machines or like, event, you know, sometimes break down an engine and overhaul it and the ship has to keep moving like they have yeah. to keep going. So like those guys are who I'm like, man, if they didn't know what they were doing, like we'd be stuck. And I, I, I think that's awesome. It hit me. So when I was younger, I was fully convinced after watching Top Gun 455,000 times <laughs> yeah. that I wanted to be in the Navy. I wanted to be a naval aviator. That was my mm. that was my career goal. I had all the documentation. I even went I was a young kid. I was probably I don't know. 12 13 and there was a recruiting office around the corner for me and i went into the recruiting office and i told him what i wanted to do and he goes son you're a bit young for that i was like (laughs) no i know but i know this is what i want to do so he gave me a whole bunch he gave me like um, a whole bunch of navy stuff and Mm. he gave me this really cool magnet that i still remember he's like when you're ready you come back and we'll bring you on board i'm like all right this is awesome nice and so that summer, you know, my dad, both my grandfathers were in the army. My grandfather was in the, one grandfather was in the army air force. And my other grandfather was a drill sergeant in the U S army. So, mm-hmm. you know, military is kind of in my blood. 
And I was like, no, I'm definitely doing this Navy thing. So my father's like, well, I don't love the idea of you joining the Navy. He goes, but what we can do, he goes, why don't, you know what? It would be really cool as a, a day trip for the summer. They took me to the Intrepid. Oh, nice. And what struck me, like I had no concept of what, you know, a real ship was like. The first thing that hits you is it's gigantic. Like it, And that's not even a big ship by modern standards. They show a model inside the Intrepid of it compared to the Enterprise, which is not even a modern ship at this point. It's, oh, no, it's you know, not. they're 40 years old. And it's like it can fit on the deck and have plenty of room left over. Like it's just tiny comparatively. But the one thing that caught me as I was wandering around, because they give you a tour. And, you know, you're going up and down the steps, you go into the tower and you go into the, you know, where the quarters are and everything is so damn claustrophobic. Like mm. you don't realize oh, yeah. it, like as someone who's never been on a ship, it's everything's tight. So I'm imagining when you talk about the guys in the engine room, you know, 110 degrees and you're not in like a spacious place. You're in like a really confined place. It's mm -hmm. probably dark. It's probably steamy. It's definitely dirty. Mm. It's like, that's gotta be just, Ooh, you're right. I have a lot of respect for those guys. <laughs> yeah, I, I liked being in my shop because you know, it was confined, but like I had air conditioning for the most mm -hmm. part. Like <laughs> it was nice to be able to like just hide away in there and make make what I wanted to make. But there are spaces and, and just tight spots on there where you sometimes have to like go down and like work on a valve or something. And it's like pinched between mm -hmm. the bulkhead and like way up here and like on top of pipes and like there's no room to work. Mm -hmm. And then you go on a submarine and you're like, oh, I had all the I had all the room in the world. <laughs> they literally cram everything into every cubic inch of a sub. Yeah, it's insane being in there. It's I love one of my favorite things that you and Chris do, because you and Chris were together for a certain period of time, I'm assuming. Or we yes. you, your service didn't just overlap. You actually served together. Yeah. So we were on the same ship and it was I think it was his the only ship he was on and it was my first ship. So being mm -hmm. a machinist, they moved me around a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. And Chris was a welder. So uh, we did work work directly together a lot because we were in the same division. So we, you know, had quarters in the morning. And we, we actually, it's funny because we were like direct competition. Like he was the guy in my division that was always working on his qualifications, working on the next thing, that we were the same rank. And every time it came up to an evaluation, it was me and Chris against each other. But we always had a ton of respect for each other because we knew mm -hmm. what the other person had to do. That we always had like a a, a friendly um, competition in a way. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, that that was great. And then the funny thing about that and how like the makeshift podcast came together and all that was like we had both found the maker community separately, uh, mm -hmm. you know, over almost over 10 years later from like we didn't really talk to each other. I think we were Facebook friends, but I was seeing that he was putting out YouTube videos and that. Uh, he was like liking some of the same posts I was liking. And this is before I really even knew I was in the maker community. I just was a dude on Instagram that happened to like these other woodworkers. And then I'm, and then we started talking again and, and, you know, became friends again. And then it just kept going until we were like, you know what, we should do our own podcast. And we're like, okay, sure. let's do it. <laughs> let's do so, it. Yeah. Hey, the more in the space, the better uh, that you guys, I, I remember saying right after you guys got started, I don't know if I said it to you or I said it to Chris or if I said it on Because We Make the Weekend you launched, but I remember mm -hmm. saying that the 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 vibe between you two was the kind of vibe that you develop with your co-host over weeks and weeks and weeks, and you guys mm -hmm. just kind of came right out of the gun, <laughs> like instantly, like you had this cool chemistry, you kind of 
There was no awkward silences between you had this nice flow with the podcast. And I think it's kind it's been kind of cool watching the show evolve, but not change. Mm. Like you guys are, you're, you're smoother in your presentation. Now the nerves seem to have kind of gone away. You've kind of really settled into what the show is and, you're not trying to do something that everyone else does. It's just you and him having a chat. Sometimes there's a guest involved. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we want to do is keep it, keep it real down to earth and easy for anybody mm-hmm. who comes on the show. It's like, you're just hanging out with friends. Uh, yep. And it was funny when we were putting it together, we're like, I mean, we, we were both in the Navy. We're going to have Navy stories, but who in the maker community really wants to hear Navy talk? And we're like, eh, we should just like not do it. And then we're like, well, it's part of our past though. Like we sure. have a lot of stories from this. And we're like, we'll just sprinkle in a story every once in a while, but not make the show about the Navy because you don't right. want to go hear about it every week when, you know, you you weren't in the military and you don't want to hear that crap. Like, <laughs> so we mm-hmm. just try to keep it more maker central. But, hey, we were also in the military and this is a lot of our background and how we approach things now is like just our our our, our, our attitude, I guess, is from that. Yeah. I think I think if you were going to do a weekly segment of any kind that you really should stick to, you really do need to have a Perkins story of the week. (laughs) I know. I I just this guy. I could. I I only. I hope to God he never finds your podcast. (laughs) Like I really do. Like, and it's not that you're nasty. It's just like, oh my God, can you imagine just having your, you know, your moments just exposed out there for everyone to see? Like this poor guy, he was just. I don't know. He's just hapless. I guess that's the word for it. Just a hapless kind of schlubby guy. Yeah. He's just very unique. And and we talked about that and we're like, man, we don't, we don't want it to be like bullying. Like we're just pushing mm-hmm. this guy around, but he was such an interesting character that we have to bring up the stories. <laughs> like if you would have worked with us, everybody's got that coworker that they're like, sure. man, where did this guy come from? Like, how do you get to this level of being <laughs> like just this quirky or whatever it is that you can have all these stories, but he just was so, I mean, if you would tell if somebody told me now that he was the first functional robot that looked like a human being, <laughs> I would believe you. I would be like, that explains everything. If he's lived the first attempt at AI, it would make sense because he'd he was, literally like be in quarters and he'd just turn around and face the wall and like be shouting something. And we're like, like it's, he was just malfunctioning. And we're like, what is going on? And it, the story on the ship was like, this guy was undercover like mm-hmm. he was just messing with us like and we're like this is the best actor in the world like he <laughs> he'd be getting like golden <laughs> i don't know whatever the whatever all the oscars or whatever are. Like, <laughs> he's got to have a reality tv show we're not aware of because how can you be this way but the only problem with the perkins stories is that we can't remember all of them is like we want to have more of them but we're like reaching out to people like you guys got any good stories like we want it to be more of a segment, but can't remember everything. <laughs> probably. And it's probably, it's a combination of not being able to remember, or there just being so many that they just, in the moment, they were just blurring together. It's like, they, wait, that's today's story. All right. What's, what's <laughs> right. going to be tomorrow's story now? <laughs> yeah. So what is, what do you think? I mean, obviously the cyclone launch is going to be your focus for a while. And then when, when do you expect to start, putting these out in quantity like are you looking at middle next year end of next year how long do you think you're going to run the beta for or does it just depend on what the feedback looks like and if there's any showstoppers before you go live yeah i think that is the big thing there is like i'd love to be able to say like oh yeah production will be you know 
February or something like that. Like that would be mm-hmm. a good target goal for me of being like beginning of the year, you know, the holidays are tough anyway to be buying a big purchase, you know, but after the holidays and Christmas bonuses and your taxes, like maybe people are more willing to spend, spend some money on a new purchase um, mm-hmm. then. And I'd love to be ready for it then, but it all depends on how this test goes. Like if, if, if we have issues and we have to completely overhaul this thing and send people like, what if, what if the motors aren't up to par? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and we have to send everybody new motors like that's a lot of money that we have to eat because I'm not going to tell the people that are beta testing that you have to pay for that. I'm just going to be like, this is what will fix it. And we'll get that. You know, it could be any number of things. It could be the controller that we think is great. That worked perfectly for us could have a flaw in one of five of them that we're buying or something like that. And that's not going to be good enough for actually sending out to market. So it's things like this we have to figure out. I was going to actually ask you a, a question that, I'm not trying to get you to poke a hole in your own product, but I was just curious if there's anything when you send these out that you go, okay, we took a bit of a risk in that design. Um, Is that like, are there any risks that you took that you pretty sure are good risks, but that you're a little bit like, this is what I hope people can test and I hope works out. Okay. You don't have to be specific, Mm -hmm. but is there anything that when you put the machines together, you went, okay, this is, you know, you have maybe multiple designs and you went with one and you're hoping that this was the right one. Is there anything you're kind of rooting for or? No, I think, um, I think everything is like, we made it solid. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's a super solid design. Um, the one thing that I am questioning though, is like extrusion versus like linear tubes. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Cause I have extrusion with linear rails on them. And then I see like Onefinity and they have like lower prices and they have, it's a very solid looking machine. And I'm like, man, maybe I should have done something like that. Maybe we should have went a different route on that. And that's something we're going to explore. But I think a lot of that is they're a much bigger company. They can buy things in bulk. They can get their price down. um, And we're not going to be able to get to that point. Like we're trying to keep this as low as we can without shooting ourselves in the foot. Right. Because we are starting from nothing. I can't I can't afford to make, you know, two hundred dollars on a machine because I can't afford to output that many for it to add up. You know, I've right. I've got to pay Brian and I've got to pay the bills. And I, I don't even expect to be taking a check from this for the foreseeable future. Like I, as long as I can get by, mm-hmm. like I'm I'm fortunate enough that I'm in the situation that my you know, we bought our house uh eight years ago have it almost paid off. We keep our bills low. Like we don't need much to get by. Right. And so I'm more worried about just everything else. Okay. And if I, if I don't, you know what I mean? Eventually we'll be able to hit some of those goals, I think. But right now we've got to just like put our best foot forward. Yep. I think, I think you're, I think you're well on your way. I really do. I like, I like your philosophy with the machine. I like the way you're approaching it. I like how you're, getting your ducks in a row, getting the machine into the hands of more people than just your close friends. It's just like, nope, if you want to be the one to test this, take it. And you don't know who's going to buy it. You might get it in the hands of a complete crazy person and they're Mm. just going to rip it apart. And that would be the dream because those are the people that are going to give you the best feedback. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We were actually talking about this the other day, uh, just me and Brian. And it was uh, one of the guys that wants to buy the machine is local to us, but he so far has been a a major pain in the butt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hope he doesn't listen to this, but he's just very particular. Like right. he wants, 
he's doing his own thing right now and he needs absolutely zero run out on the spindle and stuff like that. Like he needs going to happen at, at a lot of woodworkers caliber of machine. It's just, yeah. that, that's the 10 to hundred thousand dollar machines that you were talking about earlier. Zero yeah, run out yeah, yeah. is not realistic. It's just, I know, but it's it, I, what I was telling him was like, this is good for us though. Cause he's local. Right. We can go address any problems he has and we can, we can really hone this thing in to be as precise as possible. You can, and if you we can, can please that it. guy, we can please the hobbyists that, you know, already like the handles that I'm making, the handles I made on the very first machine, I was so surprised they came out as nice looking as they did. Cause yeah. it's like, surely this thing being a hobbyist grade machine running on V wheels and like, it didn't have pulleys, but it just had lead screws that, you know, you can see the slop in it when it, the backlash and all that. And I'm like, man, this is not going to, it sounded terrible too. Like when the, the X motor just wasn't either calibrated right or the nut, the nuts weren't right. And it just, <laughs> we had to only run it uh, in the rotation because every time it would move down the X, it just sounded awful. And I'm like, gosh, but then we were getting parts off this thing. And I'm like, this is beautiful. And like, we're, we took a bunch of stuff to the uh, maker camp and everybody that saw it was like, what, how did you make this? This is the coolest <laughs> thing I've seen. And I'm like, like we like we made Chuck Norris's face that was a, a half an inch tall and a half an inch wide. It had awesome detail. And I'm like, how are we able to do this on version one? Like, what yeah. are we going to be able to make on version five? You know, so that, I'm excited. That's got to be the cool part. Like it, now it's not going to be major. It's probably not going to be major redesigns. It's going to be refinement as you move further down the process now. Mm. So that's great. I'm I'm so happy for you. I'm so glad that it's working out. I'm so glad that you're about to bring it to market or at least get mm -hmm. it in the hands of some people. It's, it's been really cool to watch and I'm, I wish you all the best on it, man. It's, I'm really happy for you. I can't you. do it. So I'm just going to have to be happy for you doing it. <laughs> Thank you. Well, the, the thing is there is like, I couldn't do it if I didn't have a supportive community, like not at mm -hmm. all. Like I, who am I going to reach that wants to buy this machine? If I didn't have a community that was willing to listen to me, talk about it or watch my posts or share my posts. Like mm -hmm. I, this, this will only work if the community supports it. And that's my biggest thing is like, I want people to love it. Not, not say, oh, it's like so-and-so CNC company that they, they're out of some country across the world and they don't care about getting back to us with emails or sending us repair parts. Like they make enough money off everybody. Like we want to be, we want to be easy to approach, I think Good. is the thing. So. I think it's a, I think that's a good goal to have. I think like I said, I think you're you're well on your way to it. And you know, you're you, you know, you and Chris being as active as you are in the community and having a podcast where you, you know, expose other makers, it endears you to the maker community mm -hmm. and that usually finds a way to get a payback out of it. Like mm -hmm. it may not be immediate, but people in this community do support other people in this community. It's pretty it's pretty remarkable how supportive everybody is of everybody else, even if they're quote competing with each other. So, right. Well, it's going to be great. I I'm really looking forward to it. Um, let's switch over to, uh, things of the week. Um, what okay. did you bring to the table this week? So my thing of the week is going to be, um, Kyle Eli. I think I'm saying his last name, right? It's E L Y. So it's either Eli or Ely, but I think it's Eli. <laughs> okay. Kyle Eli from learn your CNC. And this dude like he, he bought the, the first cyclone as soon as it dropped. He oh, didn't wow. like message me and say like, Hey, I'm going to be able to like promote this. Can I get a discount? Like he was like, I got you. I'm getting this thing. And is super excited about it. And not, I'm not only just sharing it because of that, but, but 
he has had this awesome training program for Vectric. And that's actually how I found out about him. It was like when I was trying to figure out this rotary stuff, it was like, I can't just do this with YouTube videos. Like I need a program that I can go step by step. And this dude has through learn your CNC. He goes from, if you don't know anything about anything, like you've never even used Inkscape or Illustrator. Like he goes through all of the, this is how you use Vectric from the start. And he goes through all of your, just what a vector is, like how, how to do anything like that two-dimensionally to three dimensions, to three dimensions, to all of the modeling and then gets into rotary. So he's got the complete package for if you want to learn how to use Aspire, he's got it for you or Vectric in general. Um, but that's how I found the dude because his videos were just like on point. He's got an awesome way of delivering all the information and he's almost got check marks of how you can go back to stuff. It's all like right. cataloged on like if you need to, oh, I need to brush up on on how to use vectors. Like there's a chapter for that. Like it's so easy to just thumb back through it, rewatches. It, all the videos are short too, like, uh, you know, five to 20 minute videos on how to do each step of this thing. And I'm like, this guy has got something figured out here that is super great. That is, and he's super supportive. I'm looking at the website now. He has so much oh, reference yeah. material on this, on just on his site. Like this mm -hmm. is, this is incredible. I wish, I wish when I was trying to learn VCarve, that I knew about this guy because VCarve ended up being for me. I just couldn't figure it out for nothing. Mm. I couldn't get it to actually produce us um, to produce a simulation that looked like it was going to work. Like I just couldn't, I don't mm. know. I feel like the only thing I've ever understood is fusion 360 and carbide create, but mm -hmm. seeing this is like, Oh, maybe you could understand it if you had this guy helping out. So, Oh, right. And that's, that's how I did it too. Cause it was the same way. It was like, great i've been doing fusion for years and now i have to get a new software because mm -hmm. fusion will do rotary but <laughs> you have for to pay a, six for a price <laughs> <laughs> you have to pay 1600 bucks to get the machining add-on of the mm -hmm. multi-axis and not everybody can do that so why would yeah. i do all of my training and say you also have to pay this which you could argue that with vectric you still have to buy into it but a lot of people that are woodworkers and cnc are already using vcarve Yep. You know, they might to get into modeling your own things, you might have to upgrade to Aspire. Mm -hmm. uh, but for the most part, it'll do all the tool paths. And then yep. you can like if you had a handle that was already 3D modeled or something from Thingiverse, you can bring it in and make small edits like totally. a logo, things like that to put on it. And uh, so it was a no brainer for me of I have to learn at least Vector and Aspire to teach it to people. And eventually I will pay for that machining add on to fusion and show i want to show fusion and vectric like you could use either one here's some sure. videos on that yeah you almost uh, have to i mean just yeah. in case like that is an expensive add-on i mean it kills me that i pay 500 dollars a year for fusion but mm -hmm. it's just for me i just look at it as a cost of doing business i have to use fusion like right. i have to have at least have access to it so it's like okay mm -hmm. fine and it's useful enough when i need it so right it just, i like i i could swap to aspire full time now because it does do everything fusion does sure but i love fusion i love having that just the nice graphics is just like it's it's weird it's like going to a, a 1080p tv and then going back to like a, a 720 or something and you're like ah this is awful <laughs> you know what i mean I feel like, like i feel like vcarve and aspire were designed for windows 7 and then mm -hmm. they never went beyond with the and i know that that's you know I have to think of it differently. I have to think of it in terms of, you know, these are people, machinists are using this. 
So if yeah. they used it on a Windows Windows 7 machine and you completely revamped the interface on it, there's going to be hewing and crying all over the yeah. place about it. You can't really just change it up after a while. So Yeah, I, I have my arguments back and forth about it because it's like Fusion, you can do more with it. You can have better tool paths because you can actually edit everything. Every, every mm-hmm. part of the tool paths you can change to where you can yep. get the exact way you want to cut something. And with Vectric, mm-hmm. you, you can't. Some things you can change to have like your start point, but you're limited by the software. But for most people, they don't need to be able to, they're not using a $100,000 CNC machine that they have to approach Basically. it with, the, you know, this uh, through coolant end mill that has to cut in a certain way. You know what I mean? Like, I'd more just, likely believe that most people are like me using a hobbyist level or, you know, even a prosumer level machine. Mm-hmm. They're not using high-end machines. I, I, I mean, I'm sure there are people that are doing that, but I think the majority, that sweet spot is in like where I am with a $2,500 CNC. Yeah. That's what they're using. It's going mm-hmm. here and it has to kind of work for those people. Primarily. Exactly. Because that's your largest, the largest market segment that you sell your product to. So Yeah, exactly. My uh, my downside with Fusion on the on the opposite of Aspire is like sometimes I'll put a model in there and it just craps its pants and I and it won't load for an hour yeah. and I'm like you're doing too much Fusion it does give not us, like give us a hobbyist level of this does not like dealing with a lot of triangles and yep. STLs are just just tons of triangles mm-hmm. but also what I've found over the years is that a lot of models are solid. And when models are solid instead of just a shell, those internal triangles that you can't even see, well, Fusion's still trying to calculate them oh, yeah. until it just craps out. It's like, you know, you hit a, there's a There is a limit to how many millions of triangles it can process. Mm-hmm. And that's why it ends up making you go into the mesh mode to try to do yeah, anything with it. Exactly. And it's One trying the, to figure out like the material density and where it's going to fail. And you're like, okay, I, I know why you're doing that for big engineers <laughs> and people that are that need that, but I don't, I'm a woodworker. <laughs> like you're like, chill he's out. like the over eager. He's like the over eager apprentice <laughs> who like, y- you know, you ask for, you ask for him to type a form letter and he spends two hours agonizing over the font. It's like, bro, I appreciate your attention to detail here. <laughs> exactly. It's really not that important for me right now. Can we just get the file? <laughs> right. Um, that's why, that's why I think it's important to also have a wide um, tool belt, so to speak. So like mm. I, I'm competent, barely functional in like Blender or hmm. something like that. Like, um, you know, I remember the old days of Mesh Mixer. Like, oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> I miss that because that was great. You just bring it in, hit reduce triangles. It was like exactly. one menu function. And it's like all of a yeah. sudden, Fusion doesn't crap its pants when you bring it in. So, right. Ah, the good old days. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I will have the link for it's it's learnyourcnc.com. I will definitely have that link in the show notes because I have a feeling a lot of people that listen to this podcast are probably going to be super interested in that. Um, going from going from the amazing digital fab and some actual knowledge to a guy who does some incredibly cool stuff. Um, back on the Because We Make Days, I had Steve Giordano, whose YouTube channel is um, Dashner Designs, and he does furniture restos. And I really, really love watching furniture restos. I don't know why I'm never going to do it, but I love watching it. I love people who are really good at it because you don't just learn about furniture restoration. You also learn about, you know, principles, solid principles of construction, woodworking, finishing, like 
trying to match finishes, which is something that every woodworker struggles with. I don't care who you mm -hmm. are. You always struggle oh, yeah. with it. You never get it right on the first try. So this guy does some really cool stuff. And he just recently, I think it was either this weekend or yesterday, dropped a new video. And the title is Beat Up Coffee Table Gets a Modern Makeover with Laser, which doesn't sound terribly interesting until you look at what he actually did with this table. This table was beat to hell. <laughs> and he took it and he scalloped with a angle grinder all the way around, then did mahogany stain, and then used um, a low end, a low end diode laser to mm. carve these cool inserts for the top of it. And it just came out so beautiful. And I think this guy's channel just needs some more people to subscribe. I know he's got 76,000. He's not like hurting for subscribers, but he's one of those channels that I just love watching his videos. I don't miss one. So right. definitely you, check uh... this video. You sent me the the table. He was working on some screenshots of it, and mm -hmm. it's amazing how he went from what it was, which I would probably throw that in my fire pit, uh -huh. honestly, if we're on the curb, and made this amazing piece that you could see being, I don't know, thousands of dollars of an amazing coffee table that somebody right? would keep forever. And Doesn't uh, it look like a West Elm piece? Like, I, I immediately got West, West Elm vibes from it. Like, it mm -hmm. looks like a West Elm piece, like one that they would have in the middle with a price tag of, you know, 2500 bucks on Oh, yeah. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. What What is his account again, so I can actually follow him His account him right is, that's a, okay, there you go. Thank you for, thank you for prompting me, podcast guest. I appreciate <laughs> that because I'm an idiot and I don't know how to do this. Um, the YouTube channel is Flipping Drawers. Um, F-L-I-P-P-I-N-G-D-R-A-W-E-R-S. Thank you for reminding me to actually say the oh, name yeah. of the channel. I'm all about the video title, but yeah, this guy is great. Oh, he cool. does. He has an Instagram too. That's what I was looking for. Yep. Oh, I didn't even know. You know, that's good. I didn't even know he had an Instagram. That's probably where I'll end up following him again, because I pretty much if you don't exist on Instagram, you don't exist in my <laughs> world anymore. <laughs> so sad that we've gotten to that point. But yeah, this guy does some really, really incredible stuff. He's done. He's worked with materials in such interesting ways and turning stuff that should have been. Well, that was thrown away into stuff mm. that's just like keepsakes. It's oh, wild. yeah. Yeah, it's some pretty amazing stuff. And I love those stories too. Like uh, we just said, uh, Bryce on the Waffle Beaver. And I mm -hmm. love his I love his philosophy of let's save the trash kind of in a way of yeah. like, and a lot of people have this approach, but it's so cool to see people like that who just take something and save it and say, no, we don't need to throw it away. Like, let's just yeah. find a way to reuse it. Super. A lot of a lot of this, you know, I, I'm starting to see more and more where people will do these restos and they don't even keep them. They just take them to like Goodwill or, you know, salvation army or you know habitat for humanity and let them you know let them sell them they don't care right they want they want this to not be waste right and it's like wow what a what a great way to look at things i, I yeah, love that super cool yeah um yeah i think yeah, it's, we, uh, it is something we're capable of doing you know yeah. we are capable if you want to keep stuff out of the waste stream well open up your workshop and start taking things out of the waste stream like there you go you can make yeah. that happen it's it's very interesting to see where like uh, just people's heads are um, like this day and age of like in the 1950s, they didn't have the option to just throw something out. Like they had mm -hmm. to figure out how to fix it. And yeah. uh, I think that there's, we've gone through like the phases of making things more disposable. And now it's like coming back around that people are like, wait, let's, let's not just mm -hmm. throw everything away. There's yeah. obviously a problem with that. Let's get back to fixing our own stuff. And that's a huge part of the maker community. Like there's just a giant community just on repairing and fixing things. That's yeah. awesome. I love that. And I love that it's permeating everything. Like you see people getting more involved in like, Hey, why does my car, why is my car engine 
have a black cover over it so that I can't get to any of the parts. <laughs> You're or, right, yeah. Why does my John Deere tractor have a copyright and a license and a special screw that I can't get off it? And why can't I mm -hmm. fix my tractor? Or, exactly. You know, all these things that people are doing, all these electronics. I've, I watch probably way too many um, electronics fixing channels where people are like, you know, fixing stuff that would just end up as e-waste. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, a lot of times it's maybe two or three hours of work. And all of a sudden this piece of e-waste that would have just ended up in a landfill somewhere is now usable again and somebody can like i'm talking like nintendo switches new oh, xboxes right. we're not even talking like old stuff oh, i'm yeah. talking new stuff that people would just go this doesn't work anymore chuck it in the bin you mm -hmm. know not doing that yeah, it's, anymore it's kind of unfortunate that like the manufacturers are more on board with like no we need to fix it and i could see where that's coming from of like it's our specialty you're gonna mess it up but then they have like you know 15 year old cars that you still can't get in and uh, mm -hmm. drain the transmission oil yourself because they have yeah. a specialty tool that mm -hmm. you can only take it to the dealer to do. And then you take it to the dealer and they're like, ah, it's over 10 years old. We don't do this anymore. And like, yeah. okay, well, how do I do it? <laughs> Why did they make it impossible? It's it's like when you get a vehicle now and you find out like, oh, I, I, I think it needs some transmission fluid or the trans. And it's like, yeah, it's a sealed system. Yeah, exactly. That's what it was. Yeah. What? Like, yeah, it's uh, how what? do I just repair my own car that I spent like, money on? Yeah, it, I mean, that would be like that would be like buying a car and they put a they put they weld the gas, they weld the gas tank shut. And it's like, <laughs> I need gas. And it's like, no, it's a sealed system. You can't, yeah, you can't put gas in. You got to come back to our gas station only. Like, what? exactly. We'll drill a hole, put gas in it, and then weld it shut again. So <laughs> maybe we'll get Corey. Maybe we'll get Corey to design a um, a specialty cap. <laughs> Just give him the book and let him do it. <laughs> right. Um, we do have some financial supporters that we need. I keep saying we. I'm so in the habit. I've been doing. I've had a co-host for so long. All I have right. to start saying I. But this show, let's do it that way. This show does have some financial supporters that I need to give a quick shout out to. And those are the people that subscribe to the show via my website. And I really appreciate all of them. And those people include Matthew Serio of Artigiano Serio, Al Schultz of New York Woodworks, Tori Decker of Tori Did It, Ed Swanson of Ed's Clocks and More, Jake Drews of Make With Jake, Megan Chris from Onyx Designs Woodwork, Christian Neary of Warren Works, Jeff Stein, a.k.a. A Weird Guy, Kim and Garrett from Kim and Garrett Make It, Rory Langefeld of RLL Woodworks and DIY, Robert J. Keller, Rebecca Cole of Bexie Designs, Brian Arsenault of Seven Hills Maker, Lars Coleman of Colorado Multicraft, Dave Bauer of Dave Bauer Art, Jeremy Spies, Mike of Pixels to Prototype, and Don LeBlanc of Fun with Woodworking. All of those people support this show financially, and I greatly appreciate all of it. If you can't support the show financially, that's fine as well. Feel free to leave a review, share the show, turn someone onto it that may not have heard it already because the more listeners we get, the more reviews that we get, the more people start listening and maybe we'll get supporters that way. But I appreciate every level of support that we get, including the shares, the love, the financial support, whatever it is, it's always appreciated. I can't do this show without you guys supporting it. And I appreciate that so many of you do. And I really, really am grateful for it. Corey, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And just for those of you that don't know, because of course you don't know, because I didn't tell you, but <laughs> I asked Corey literally yesterday, I'm like, hey, you doing anything tomorrow? You want to record? He's like, okay. It's <laughs> like, cool. Like, that was it. That was the uh, the big planning sesh that went on for this episode. But um, yeah, I'm no, really glad awesome. I finally got to talk to you. I've, I've known Chris forever. And it was like when I saw you guys were spinning up a podcast, I'm like, okay, so 
now that Corey's got some mic time behind him, I'm going to have to get him on the show one day. And I was like, well, you know what? One day is now since you really do fit the, the quote, I say focus with the most biggest, like whatever quotes I could possibly say it with because, Mm. but I do appreciate you coming on. I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens with the cyclone and I hope it's a super big success for you. And then, one day you'll be advertising on this podcast because you'll be a millionaire and you'll be helping out all your poor podcasting friends. <laughs> I hope so. That'd be great. <laughs> that would be great. But yeah, um, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was, it was a blast. And it was per- pretty funny about like, hey, when, you can, when, you can, when can you come on? And I'm expecting like, I, I have you down for four months later because, you know, you're <laughs> you're better at this than we are. Like we do We're like, Hey, what are you guys doing tomorrow? Like come on the show. And uh, when you're like, you're available tomorrow. I was like, Oh, I got to make that work. Like oh, I want to yeah. come on the show. Yeah. It's so oh, awesome. it's, Thank you. It's so great. It's so great to have you on. And what's funny is, you know, without having a co-host now, it's very easy for me to schedule. So it's like, Oh no, I can schedule someone like middle of the day if I'm not working that day oh, or, right. you know, like I don't have to think like, Oh, I have to get my, co- I have to wrangle a co-host anymore. Like it's oh, like, yeah. Nope. I want to record today. And if the guest is available, that's when we're recording. So it's kind of weird. People watching this are noticing that the, um, the windows, there's sunlight coming in the windows behind me <laughs> in my apartment. So, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. good luck with makeshift. I'm really happy. I'm really happy to call myself a Patreon of mm-hmm. the makeshift podcast. I wasn't one of the first, I'm no Keith Drennan, but I like to think <laughs> that I was in there in the first five, which is good enough for me. So, yeah, we'll say that, but yeah, we, we love the sport. I'm so glad you're in there because, uh, Vincent's actually in our top tier that's in our group chat and that's mm-hmm. the best thing ever. Like we're just always chatting away in there and it's awesome. You get to the only podcast people. in history that did this on the Instagram chats. And it's so good that it's not even annoying that it's there. So it's not a discord. <laughs> it's the Instagram chat. And it's like, no, this is fun, man. The conversations are, I'll tell you what, that's a reason to just get in that tier to get in that conversation. <laughs> Cause there is some funny stuff that goes through that room. Like I don't jump in a lot, but I really enjoy, like I read it all the time. I'm just laughing and laughing. Just some funny people in that chat. So, <laughs> yeah. um, Corey, where can people find you in case they want to follow along with your journey to wealth, stardom, and fame? <laughs> or or a giant failure. That that could be that's a good lesson though. You know what hey, I mean? You, still you only still learn from all your, of that. Yeah, yeah, you only learn from your failures. So that's what um, I've been told anyway. Right. So <laughs> I am most present on Instagram at um Odyssey underscore CNC. Mm-hmm. Um I ha- we we've started doing some YouTube stuff and it's the same name um, and we're going to get a lot heavier on there. And then Facebook is kind of a mirror of Instagram whenever I think to put it over there. Like okay. <laughs> it's a lot less followers and eventually at some point I'm like, oh man, I've, I haven't posted to Facebook in a month. So it's great. <laughs> great. So I will have all of Corey's links in the show notes so that you can follow along and um, keep up with the developments on the cyclone. And if you want one, um, I, you still, I mean, I don't know if you're going to have it when we drop this, but do you have a, you still have machines available or. Yeah, I have three available for the beta test now. Okay. So, so we'll, we'll yeah. see what happens. We'll see what happens when this drops, but if they do, you can find them on his website, which of course I will also link in the show yep. notes below for this episode. So, Thanks for listening, everybody. I will be back again next week with a guest, and I uh, hope you have a great week. And thanks for listening. We'll see you then.